Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Slave from the board low later. <laughs> and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That is Australian, everybody, for let us obtain a quantity of beer, <laughs> usually a box, from a liquor store. In honor not only this week of Australia, not only because Australian supercars are racing in Albert Park this weekend and there was a team once called Bottle O, but also because, as helpfully pointed out to us by many listeners, Daniel Ricardo has a new wine, everyone. A Danny, new wine. as a Daniel, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, shout out to old Dan- Daniel, uh, vineyard-owning Daniels all over the place. Um, I am not one of those. Uh, a new wine. We already we we have yet to drink last year's wine, which was very <laughs> kindly sent to us, Drew. We have yes. now got a backlog of wine. I know. He's, he's just cranking out the vintages. Uh, speaking of a fine vintage, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Man, I need to figure out a way to get out there so we can all sip our wine, our Daniel Ricardo wine together on a veranda somewhere, preferably. Hey, there might be a good reason to come in this direction next year. That's true. Also, we should uh, not, it should not go without saying that he also has a decanter <laughs> to go along with the wine. Uh, uh, also, uh, not, like it doubles as a glass slipper. It, it does, you're right. <laughs> so you're you, right. Could, you could, like... You could do a modern Cinderella where after winning the prince's heart and becoming queen of the realm, she does a shoey for her mates, the mice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, you have to see this. So I'm going to put a link to the show notes. Uh, Daniel Ricardo's shoey decanter. Yeah, um, it's something else. It's something else. It really is. If you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome to you. Don't drink in podcast. Uh, if you're new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our pre-season primer episode. It assumes no prior F1 knowledge, so if you're new to this whole F1 thing, uh, th- that explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, is episode 178. Also, the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively, easy for me to say, uh, for our patrons. <laughs> They cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month, Danny? 
We have have reviewed half of Drive to Survive Season 4. You can go mm-hmm. check that out right now, and we will be doing the second half, the last five episodes, uh, in any day now, like probably in the next couple of weeks. So that'll be up uh, pretty soon, too. Uh, and uh, yeah, a massive shout out to all of our uh, beautiful title sponsors. Tanner McCleave joining the team. I was thinking we might have to put a limit on the amenities because it's getting we're, we're getting up to the... This has taken five minutes for me to say. Even longer yeah. now, because now, now I'm explaining it. Tanner mm-hmm. McLeave, bon, Bulgarian Bonbon, Mickey's 0.0, at NF... Oh, and I can never say, it never rolls off the tongue. I want to get through as quick yeah. as possible. At NF1T underscore NFTs. Rough week for F1 NFTs uh, with uh, the closing of Delta Time. Uh, although maybe this works out really well for them. I'm not really sure. I don't, they're complicated to me. Olivia Evans, Team Blackjack, Christian Horner, Pyrites Card Castle, Erica Siegel, Iron Station Studios, Alan McCrary, TelemetryDeck.com, Gnarly Goat, David Mule, Drew Stewart, Big Promble Motorsports, Bailey Foot, Abdallah Althani, Jason Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, Bunny Thorpe, Opto, Octocrimes. We've lost our trying hashtag. to trip you up now. Yeah, no, Bunny Thorpe Octocrimes. I'm like sick, man. Don't give me these difficult <laughs> word combinations. Snigs, Alex Guichet, Reagan, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon. Thank you for the wine. We will eventually drink it. Troy Stammer, Umberto Roca, William Romp, and Jason Kelly. Very good. Thank you, title sponsors. <clears throat> uh, should we jump right into it, everyone, and kick it off with the news here? Let's do it. Do you want me to take this one? Let's do it, Danny. Yeah. Oh, man, we're going to Vegas. So they have announced another uh, track for the 2023 season, and it is in Las Vegas, which I know, I know, we're kind of like, all right, we're just sticking them in American cities now. We got Miami this year. We're going to Vegas. They have their East Coast. They have their Central. They have their West Coast. Denver's putting their hands up for mountain time so we can cover (laughs) everyone off. Um, But... It is perhaps the Vegas uh, race that of our dreams. It's certainly one that's more compelling than what I thought it would be, which is we're going to do this in the parking lot of a casino again. They're doing it on the Strip, yeah, which is pretty crazy. Like there are street circuits. We're used to street circuit Monaco. Obviously, it, you drive around. 90% of all Monaco streets in Monaco. Uh, Singapore, you know, it's in a commercial district of the town. It's, it's you know, it's it's not an unbusy part of the town. But doing it down the main promenade of the Vegas Strip is something that I, I didn't really consider. And as sort of cynical as you can be about this, and there have been people saying like, oh, I'm not so sure about this one. It's There's no denying that like doing it down the Strip and again, at nighttime, because the race is going to start at 10 p.m. On um, a Saturday. On a Saturday. It's it's a really, like, it is very sort of F1 money cynical, which is something we talk about a lot, especially if we just left Jeddah. But it kind of rocks. <laughs> like, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of into this. Maybe there's bias here because it's also like an hour flight from where we are. And that's mm-hmm. the closest F1 has been in donkey's ears austin is about a four-hour flight uh but yeah they're going to resurface the strip for this um the track layout looks kind of good it looks yeah. roomy which like circuit like street circuits so rarely do right like i i, I think we are we are so used to uh like okay so the worst street circuit 
that has been introduced in years, not in F1. If anyone saw, I think it was like the the Nashville race that uh, IndyCar ran last year, dog <laughs> shit. You know why? Because they were so hell-bent on having the cars run over the bridge in Nashville that they just basically used the highway interchange as like oh, wow. one end of the course. And like that's how you can that's how you can have it go wrong when you're going for that for that photo op, right? Where that's the only thing you're prioritizing. I think the nice thing about Vegas is like you're gonna have the long like shots of the strip as the car's whipping down uh, that that back straight, but it's still gonna be in the background as they loop back around behind the strip, uh, and like it's still like there there is going to be uh, like fast sectors and slow corners. Uh, you know, places where people can get a decent view of the race. Uh, it really looks like it looks like a like a like it has the look of what I associate with like good street circuits, right? Which is like some long runs, uh, some uh, sharp but hopefully wide corners. Um, it could be awesome. Also, it'll be it sure would be nice to have a like an F one race at a venue where like you can just get off the plane five minutes later, you're at the track. Uh, yeah, that's that's and, a different world than other like races like force you to live in, right? Like, how about how about this? You don't, you mightn't even need a, a ticket to the race if as if you got a hotel room that's high enough. Because like, <laughs> it's true on the on the strip, it's like all the hotels. A lot of them facing the strip. I mean, some of them will have a fairly limited view of this, and I'm sure the ticket prices are going to be you know vague, you know, <laughs> turn, ratcheted up a lot for this. But that's quite interesting. Imagine waking up and seeing F2 just like, you know, doing their practice in the morning. You'll, you'll probably be woken up, actually, rather, by some of these. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine being here n- not for the F1 race. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? So we we don't know when it is exactly. They said November of next mm-hmm. year. A lot of people have been saying, does that mean the Thanksgiving weekend? Uh, does it not mean the Thanksgiving <laughs> oh weekend? God, 10 p.m. on Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Maybe that's why they don't do it on a Sunday. There's like a load of like scuttlebutt about that. Um, I want to go. Yes. <laughs> like, I want to go to this. Austin is fun. Uh, arguably this, I could, we could, you could drive to this one from here. It's not, yeah. it's not okay. that Gosh. bad. So wait, so the plan is get F1 tickets, watch the race, stay up all night, go to the Raiders game. <laughs> no, no, I am not going to have Las Vegas Raiders game. I'm still upset about that. I live in Oakland. It's, Stadium it's was good, man. Only like a real fun A's, place to see a game. Golden State Warriors skipped across the bridge. Raiders once again left. We'll see them back in 10 years uh, as long as the A's stay. If the A's stay, I'm out of Oakland. That's it. <laughs> you mean if they go? Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, but yeah, this it, is. It, this seems like a fun like presumably they're going to start the race weekend then on the Thursday, I'm guessing, to get this all up yeah. to speed. It's very weird doing it on the Saturday. I get it for television stuff. That means it'll land fairly early, actually, uh, UK time. The rest of I Europe. I think it's I think it's five a.m. Which yeah. I, I saw a bunch of people in the UK going like, "Oh, five a.m. for a Formula One race." Oh, you summer <laughs> children, welcome to our world. Well. Uh, <laughs> So the but yeah, th- they don't have an equivalent, right? The other thing that occurred to me, though, is like, it's so wild that, okay, if they're doing this like race at 10 p.m. local, right? You are basically mandating 
that for all of American F1, this is a party weekend. Or you're just going to be like, you know, kind of kind of like sad and you're going to go to bed and like I'll catch the race in the morning because I can't stay. Like for me on the East Coast, right? This race will be rolling off at midnight, right? Like, oh, yeah. uh, no, sorry. 1 a.m. 1 a.m. Because, yeah. yeah, Vegas is West Coast time. So like I have the choice, but I'll catch it in the morning or I just commit to like. It's a party weekend. F1 has declared it to be so. Uh, so it is time to stay up until the wee hours uh, watching a live F1 race. Um, and really, this is the only place in America you could do a 10 p.m. race. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. There's probably quite a lot of laws about noise in most places. <laughs> could you imagine the poor people? There's got to be some like poor people who have been dying to go to Vegas their whole lives, or the, or they're just regulars who hang out, you know, all the time and stay in their really expensive suite at the Win, right on mm-hmm. Turn Four or whatever it is, and like at 10 o'clock, you know. Aunt Maisie's going to sleep and then suddenly <laughs> she's like what the fuck it's like two hours of that that's oh man yeah we should go I'm 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 in uh, we should go the big asterisk that's in the corner for this is just how much expensive is this race weekend gonna be because you, you can have a cheap you can have a like a good time in Vegas on a budget it's not yeah it's there's a lot of options in Vegas it's not that you know it's not Monaco there is right it, you know it's kind of pretending to be more la- lash than it is and you can waste a lot of money in the casinos of course but it is ex- it's an accessible place to go to especially if you live you know relatively close to it so i do wonder yeah like how gougy hotel so, prices will be they're also saying so austin pulled in four hundred thousand people for that race weekend yes uh, the biggest the biggest race last year in terms of uh Attendance. How does that uh, one scale of the biggest with, like the largest conferences that Vegas hosts? Right, that'd be the other question. Is like, are, is this like, can the Strip absorb that number of bookings uh, for this kind of thing? Because um, I think that's gonna be part of it too. Is like, I'm sure there's gonna be people like staying. There's there's all the sort of outlying casinos. There's Old Vegas, etc. Uh, where I'm yeah. sure people will be staying. But like, I think we're all agreed here. If we're doing this, we would sure want to be down where these sort of red circuit traces are placed uh around <laughs> around the strip rather than like uh coming in from i don't know like the nugget yeah i i have to assume with all the hotels that it's fairly because like austin i get it because austin is a conference town too right with south by southwest and a large amount of that is soaked up by uh, private sort of rental airbnb type stuff in austin because it doesn't have that many hotels but they're able to they're able to sort of like hold that many folks and then also austin i feel like there is a lot of people coming in from the surrounding area who live around there as well yeah um i'm not quite sure if the local vegas crowd will be so into f1 necessarily to to me i I don't know but um maybe i'm wrong but texas strikes me as a little bit more motorsport adjacent for that type of stuff so yeah it's a good question i assume they spectacle yeah that's true like i I assume they'll be able to soak it up um and whether or not we'll get that many numbers though you know CES, yeah the yeah. vg what's the porn awards what are they called uh, i don't oh, know yeah. <laughs> i used to be on around the same time as ces i think was, that's uh, true i heard that that's yeah. true famously yeah mm-hmm. um andy bauman's got some great stories about that uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, maybe the, worth uh, sorry maybe worth uh pointing out that um 
this is the first time, uh, as you said, Danny, there used to be a, a race in Vegas in yes. the parking lot of a hotel. <laughs> it was really weird. Like it was just kind of a back and forth, look kind of like an autocross track. <laughs> the go-karts. Yeah, or a go-kart track. Um, that was at uh, Caesars Palace, the Caesar Palace Grand Prix, uh, last in 1982, which is also the last time there were three races in yeah. the United States. So there is precedent for this. It was uh, Las Vegas, Detroit, and Long Beach. Yeah, right. Long Beach. Yeah, that's the, one of the only ones that they might be able to do still again, because there's so many tracks that either won't work on modern F1 because of rule. Like I was looking this up because there was, you know, the argument is, oh, why is there three races in America? Well, obviously, you know, the F1 was bought by an American company. It is probably the biggest expansion market available to them, at least, in oh, yeah. the, uh, you know, closest to them, easiest to them to expand into. Um and there's a lot of tracks that just wouldn't work. Like Laguna Seca wouldn't work. Um, it, it doesn't pass regulations. Uh, outside of the corkscrew, it, it doesn't have the runoff required. It's also like really short. I think the lap times there would be under a minute. So that's not possible. Uh, places like Sonoma Motor Speedway don't have the required um, pits for F1. They don't mm. have enough sort of like uh, uh, that type of like buildings and infrastructure, I guess. Um I went through a bunch. I think Watkins Glen might be one of the, but then that's another East Coast, you know, when you've already got Miami going on. So I don't know. And you got to think about all those people, right? Like getting to the track, it's going to be a nightmare if it doesn't have the infrastructure around there. Yeah. Um, In a weird way, Vegas is like oddly, like you both, Rob said it earlier as well. Like it is, it is oddly well set up for not racing necessarily but like this type of thing getting a yeah. bunch of people into town and then getting them out and mm-hmm. having it so that like you can access stuff and the traffic isn't crazy and there's places to stay like yeah like if we did this in laguna seca <laughs> like where does everyone stay it's in the yeah. middle of no it's like outside monterey it's like not even close to a city really yeah so right. at only, least this one there's is only the three grade one circuits in the u.s and one of them is the uh indie uh infield track which we're never going back there in F1. right yeah um yeah i'm curious it's, if any of the grade twos can be converted because there's some great ones there yeah, is there any, do you know, do you have any list in front of you or any? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, like, the Glen is there, but that might be harder to convert yeah. because, like, there is topography there that they're they're kind of up against. Uh, it's a bit like Spa, right? Uh, in in right. terms of there being hills. Yeah, Laguna Seca. Have you seen, by, by the way, have you guys seen Orouge? Have you, or Radion, rather? Uh, some of the re- reprofiling? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, mm-hmm. isn't it? Looks, it? it looks it's, good. It's, it, it looks way less dr- drastic a change than I thought it would be. No, it looks like a really smart reprofiling. Uh, demolishing yeah. that lodge, I think, really, really cleared up a, a whole bunch of space. Yeah, they um, basically didn't have to do anything on the right, which I guess they couldn't because of the cliff. It's but, yeah. yeah. Okay, they probably there's probably no way they could do this. I would if they could convert Virginia International Raceway to an F1 track, that'd be pretty nuts. That where is, is that? that is a wild Arlington or something or R- Richmond or where is it? Yeah, it's uh, in a place called Alton, I guess, which I I have no idea where that is. Oh, that's Southern Virginia. That's all the way down there. That's basically Carolina. It's very yeah. Okay, so south of Richmond, that is it. Yeah, Alton, Virginia. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth so, Blackstock on uh, Jalopnik has a, an article called "Trust Me, You Don't Want Formula One to Return to Your Favorite Classic Venues." <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and her her point is basically like if if you need if you want F one if you want the track to conform to F one standards, it's going to lose a lot of its character. That's probably true. You know, tight runoff, and I mean that's why Monaco is is so amazing is because there's no way 
as they say, there's no way that uh, that oh my track gosh. would be greenlit these days. Oh my god, I forgot about the best part of this. You just reminded me. I forgot what? about the best part of this. This knocks Circuit Polar Card off the calendar next year. <laughs> I am two out of three, folks. My three least favorite tracks. We got rid of Sochi. We got rid of Polar Card. Jeddah, I'm coming for you. Although I don't necessarily hate that track. It does provide good races. I just don't like... I don't like how dangerous it is. And also, there are the overriding political yeah. concerns around it. Yeah. No, but, but, but I, like, I, no, I'm so happy, man. It's it's a good point. I think I think boy, the pressure's on Miami though, right? Cuz like you're kind of yes. wedged between yes. like this is now the destination race. Oh, like let's see, what am I gonna choose between? I can go to the Hard 100%. Rock Stadium or the Vegas Strip to see a race. Yeah. Like totally. not not a contest. Vegas is yeah. now very much based on people on the East Coast who for some reason, like although to be honest, if like when I lived in like Maryland, like flying to Florida and flying to Texas, they're both you know I know Florida is closer, yeah. but like I think I might as well go to Texas if that was the case. Don't feel closer. But I think my, Miami now is very much a local crowd, and they they do have a lot of racing fans in there. So yeah, that's, that's a true. big part of it. But but that feels more like that now, doesn't it? Like less of a destination. Yeah, I think that that race might be up against it because um, I think Coda you could turn venue. You could. It's a much easier calculation to say like, oh, what we could turn that we can turn Las Vegas into a whole weekend, right? Of not just F one stuff. Like, there's so much to do in Vegas. Uh, if if you're a Vegas kind of person, I guess uh, there are a lot of people complaining. I guess uh, people not non-Americans saying like, why why three races in America? I think we kind of covered that. Um, uh, it's a humongous market. But uh, Sean Kelly on uh, who's at Virtual Statman on Twitter, he's a is or was a a formula one statistician uh also just a great twitter follow uh was pointing out that even if you assume 750 million people within europe uh that means uh that'd be twice as just twice as many people as in the usa europe has 11 races this season so if they have just over twice as many races as the usa that then gives the usa four to five races per season yeah not the three we currently have yeah, it's it's very much Worth like giving in perspective. Yeah, like the bias towards what is normal, I guess. Like, you know, I'm sure similar things were being said about the you know Arabian Peninsula over the past few years in terms of an expansion market. Like, we got all the races down there. You know, there was no races until yeah. Dubai. Um, yeah, and that's Italy, much easier Italy to be has two about. Hebe, what's the population of Italy? Sixty million. They have two races. They, <laughs> right. they renamed one San Marino, even though it's not in San Marino. So, like, right. He also, I think, I don't know if it was him or somebody else, but he, he posted like uh, the Google Maps directions from Spa to, you know, uh, the the Nurburgring, <laughs> uh, and then he posted, you know, the Google Maps from Miami to <laughs> Texas. Dude, do Monaco to Paul Ricard? Right, right. It's like forty <laughs> minutes away. Like it's the same part of France. Yeah, sure. Monaco's a city stage. It's, it's it's they're both in France. There's two French Grand Prix, and none of them are very good. Bring back Manny Core for God's sake. That's that's the other thing. I have I have already seen people saying like, oh, this will be sad because we'll lose a French Grand Prix. Like Paul Ricard was always such a a a bandage for for having a French Grand Prix. It never f- felt. I don't know. I don't like Le Castellet. I don't like that track. It's it. Who? Although I will say the sort of like cosmic irony of this will probably be that the new red cars will race really well on Paul Ricard, and then suddenly I'll be like annoyed that we're leaving. They had a good race last year. Yeah, I mean, who knows? 
Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think that's like it's a fair point, but I, I think it's one of those things where I think a lot of this comes down to it is the fact that F1 has like for decades kind of put all its classic venues through the ringer, the places that people really love, the places where there's a lot of like homegrown support. Um, and like this, this goes back to the Ecclestone era, right? Where it was like, there was, there was never an expansion race being funded by some sort of Petro state anywhere on the planet that F1 would, wouldn't say yes to and throw a, you know, classic European venue under the bus for that is continuing. But at least the difference here is you can say there is like an actual, uh, large racing market, uh, in, in the U S um, you know, I think, I think. I, I think maybe the three venues they've chosen. I think I have so clear doubts about Miami, uh, but I, I think the you know real issue is yeah, there's three races uh, on the Arabian Peninsula, and like only one of them seems to be reliably great, um, and they come with a, a whole host of sorry four races on the Arabian Peninsula. I forget that Abu Dhabi. Uh, we loop back around there uh, right. to fuck up the season every year. Um, so like, <laughs> I, like that, that's kind of the thing is, you know, the, 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 the real frustration is that F1 is chasing growth on the one hand and easy payouts on the other. And what gets squeezed there in the middle is reliable markets and beloved venues. Uh, but you know, that's what F1 has been for 20 years. Yeah. And like the, I would rather them at least go to places where there's going to be people. Cause the problem you get is. Like China is a big problem because that track was, yes, it's in China, but it's like miles from a major city and they've never filled any of those, you know, stands out on the outside of of the track. At least when they've, they've tried, I think, to go to interesting places too. Like Baku is a really interesting one. Yeah. Like not what you'd necessarily assume is a place that F1 would expand into. And also a street circuit, which... You think, oh, well, they're not building something. It's a little bit like we're throwing this together. Baku's been great. Yeah. Um, So I do think there's more thought going into some of these. Um, Although I will say it really, there is such an obvious difference between when we look at Vegas and Miami that that's the one thing that causes me to, you know, put some doubt in that. Because Miami does look like the Caesars Palace. Yes, yes. They can say however many times they want. It's not going to be like we're racing in the parking lot as they lay out a trace outline in the parking lot. But yeah, it's going to be a problem. Uh, anyway, we should probably hit some other news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I would, I would also throw Baku in sort of the uh, the pet, the petrol state. With, yeah, that's fair. With terrible that's fair. human rights, but yeah, that's fair. Yeah, uh, but yeah, let's move on uh, to Sebastian Vettel getting back in the car for Australia. He had Ooh. COVID for the first two races. Nico Hulkenberg filled in for him. But Vettel will be back uh, in a sort of strange piece of symmetry because uh, the we haven't been to Australia um, in uh, in two years' time, three calendar years, because uh, they called off the Australian Grand Prix in March 2020. Yeah. Like, as close as you could pot, the hours before practice. I think people had already shown up to the track. And they, they, were, then they were like, we're, yeah. we're not doing this. They were really wishing it, wishing COVID away that weekend. I, I think the rest of the world at that stage was shaking their heads and going, "No, no." This I remember Hamilton at the time was very 
vocally saying like I can't believe this race is going ahead. Um, McLaren pulled out, I believe. First. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and then one of their that- team members had covid oh you're right that's what it was yeah 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 but it was like even like a week before i think in our our uh maybe in our um episode before that or in our pre-race episode it was like a guy in australia uh or in melbourne had covid and went to a restaurant right yeah. and we were like mm, we're gonna have to watch this and then it exploded from there we were asking right we we're getting emails from folks in australia about it about how you know what's it like around the track and they're like oh all the restaurants are open and you know nothing nothing's changed and looks like it's okay and then the numbers start going up and 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 to remind people this was sort of uh, historically in recent memory the first race of the season as well so this was the opening of the 2020 season um that's right so yeah yeah uh, it uh, delighted to go back here and also the interesting thing about it we'll get into it in the track stuff later is that the silver lining, uh, if there can be a silver lining to a global pandemic which has taken the lives of millions, uh, is that at the least they have used the two years off to reprofile the track um, ah, in some yes. very interesting ways, which we'll talk about later. Right. Uh, well, speaking of teams and changes and uh, all of that, Rob, you've got a, a number of things here uh, in the in the Rob section. Yeah, so uh, there's... Growing focus. This is already such a going to be a weird season. The the, the budget cap is going to be more, more restrictive, uh, but you know, crucially, it's it's already clear now that there are a few teams that like. There's two teams that clearly have like winning race cars right now: Red Bull and Ferrari. There's a lot of teams not that far off from being like front runners, um, and that is usually your your cue for man. It's going to be a mid season development war. Uh, it is going to be, and this is this has been the arc of the last couple championships, particularly last year. Uh, that thing swung like a pendulum based on like the upgrades and improvements teams were able to roll out. One of the markers that one of the markers that uh, Mattia Bonato already sort of put down was basically <laughs> basically saying that the F one the like F one really needs to police the budget cap. Uh, aggressively because there's going to be such incentive to push it uh, in the middle of a development war. And so like Bonato's out there, they're saying like, because, because like there are so many different ways to account for money. Um, is anyone's done like any sort of business accounting or like household finances, right? Like how you move money around, how you like account for what's, what goes into what bucket is actually really complicated. Even when you're like, everything is on the level when there's like massive incentive to be like, well, can we, can we move this into some exempt categories? It's going to get, it's going to get trickier. Uh, and so Bonato is, is, is sort of calling for F1 to be really, proactive about this because if teams get the sense that you know the you know that the cops aren't like (laughs) aren't watching right uh there is going to be sort of a collective pressure across the grid uh to like push the limits here's the other thing though those limits like the cost cap was already something that teams were not like they'd all sort of recognize that it was necessary uh, and were able to accept it. But something that has emerged about this season in particular that didn't seem like it was going to be such a big deal. Uh, freight costs, 
the logistical price tag associated with moving mm. your team around the world to all these races is not exempt from the budget cap. Uh, that is part of your operating budget. And uh, a number of teams have sort of pointed out that it's already kind of exploded in terms of how much it is costing them just to getting their team, getting their equipment and cars around two different tracks. Uh, and so that's that's one of the other issues is that they're supposed to have uh, like one hundred forty two point four million uh, each year to to spend on this. Uh, but a much larger chunk of that than anyone anticipated is being committed to uh, logistics. So the normal arc that we see with these things, um, and, and to give you an, an example like how expensive, uh, Christian Horner actually said it's it's probably going to be double uh, what the freight costs have been in previous oh, years. Wow. Uh, both to the combination of uh, like the shipping industry charging higher fees, and then the fact that like um, all commodities across the board, but particularly like oil, are more expensive. Mm, of like course. these things are going to sort of have a knock-on pressure. That also though changes the calculation a little bit, even if you set aside the budget cap a little bit um, in terms of like how tightly it's being policed. There comes the question, and Autosport wrote a really good piece about this uh, called, uh, let's see, the the ha- the hair and tortoise dilemma at the heart of F1's 2022 team battle. And the argument that uh, Autosport is making is that, you know, in the past, teams would just, like, roll out a bunch of upgrades, see how they do, roll out more upgrades as the season rolls along. Uh, but here, as we've seen in previous years, the season like has so many different phases that there's a lot of incentive. Like you can get a lot of value out of a judiciously deployed, like mid to late season upgrade that you roll out. And so to what degree are teams going to be rushing upgrades out the door just to get their 22, 2022 cards into what they think is going to be their peak trim uh, for the season versus versus to what degree are teams going to hold their fire and wait and see how things play out with like smaller upgrades and then see where the field is at later in the season. Uh, both strategies have their gamble because if you blow your budget on like upgrades to the cars as they exist right now, you might be overtaken technically uh, mid to late season. At that point, you can't really, you can't really respond. Um, but the other thing this, uh, this piece pointed out is nobody's ever tested in court. Like what happens if what happens if you blow your budget? Right. Like if <laughs> one doesn't operate like a lot of leagues, like to a degree, this would become a civil action. It's not like, because mm. it immediately come down to, well, what, how do you account? Like what's, what's your accounting ver- standard by which we blew our budget? Cause we don't think we did Would F1. Like imagine the controversy of the season finale last year. Except instead of being something everyone could see on track and hear the radio messages, the fight between the teams comes down to like accounting firms, like presenting like uh, <laughs> spreadsheets in court to determine a championship. Like that's the real F one. Is F one really going to let it <laughs> get there? Like that's that's mm. the thing. But if it, but if the willingness to police the cost cap is a bluff, then 
it will be blown out of the water. Maybe not like massively, but like that hundred that that hundred forty two million dollar figure will not will not hold up, and it'll be like. 142 million and like whatever we could fudge. Uh, so that's already becoming one of the major um, like not friction points, but one of the major concerns uh, in the early stages of like the strategy the teams are are, are running this early in the season. Uh, I also got a kick out of the fact that Gunther uh, was in there being like, eh, upgrades are overrated. Um, <laughs> which, you know, it's interesting. His, his argument is like in 2019, as we famously recall, they basically went down a developmental cul-de-sac and mm-hmm. like built a worse, like, you know, 2.0 version of their car that it was Grosjean, right? Who was like, it's, it's worse. I'm telling you it's worse. And then when they ran, yeah. they, when they ran them side by side, it turned out that, yeah, their new car didn't work. And the Steiner's Steiner's point is that it's very easy to rush upgrades out the door. Uh, but you probably are better off, trying to figure out what are the fundamental issues with your car concept rather than like strapping a bunch of different like aerodynamic components to it in the hope of turning it around. I don't know that that is, I think that is a singular experience and it does make me kind of think about like formative experiences when you consider like F1 teams. Haas is so marked by the fact that like, the worst thing possible happened to them, right? Which is right as they kind of ran out of development money and went into a sort of a stand pat moment, they built a bad car, mm. one that they could never really sort out. And it is interesting to see in this new environment, these are the lessons Steiner's bringing in, into this with him. Are they good lessons or are they just good lessons for for Steiner? Because that I kind of wonder about that, right? Like, oh man, this dude's like, this dude is just scarred by the fact that he spent like two years wrestling with a car. He didn't know how to fix. Um, is that a good principle by which to guide the technical development of a car? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, speaking of car development and uh, guessing a lot. Yeah. Who would have Mercedes? Thought, talking about Haas talk, uh, to be able to say something similar about Mercedes now is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Basically, that Andrew Andrew Shovlin, uh from Mercedes was was kind of he's the, he's their like uh, head of trackside engineering. Uh, he's somebody we end up quoting a lot every year, but like he was sort of saying that Mercedes don't know what the pace of their car is. Like we've seen it, doesn't hmm. look good, but the issue is that car is hobbled by the fact that they are already running it well outside like what would be ideal parameters to deal with the porpoising? The porpoising mm. is so bad that when you run it to like uh max spec uh, or, or like most, like most efficient setup, the car is just hell to drive and basically undrivable. Um, but they don't know what's causing it. They don't know fully how to fix it. They've experimented uh, with some of the obvious stuff. They sort of cut away pieces of the floor uh, thinking that maybe it would reduce some of the uh, some of the porpoising uh, that's coming via ground effect. That didn't that didn't solve it. Um, but until they until they know what it is, like they're still thinking that if not for the porpoising, they may have a really competitive car that they just can't like set up to take full advantage. So like step one for them is to figure out why is this why is this like violent shuddering on the straights? happening to us uh because until they answer that and tame it 
they can't really know whether their car concept for this year, which already looks kind of different from what a lot of other teams are doing, whether that car concept is fatally flawed. Um, now, for me, the big if there is what if the fatal flaw is that a porpoise is so damn much, right? Like, what, what if what if mm-hmm. the problem is that, like, the, like if you solve for the porpoising issue, like, the car concept is just, like, kind of a dead letter. I don't know, but it, it certainly leaves Mercedes in, like, by far the worst position, I think, I've seen them since uh, probably the launch of the team. Yeah. Yes. I mean, uh, but this is one of the things that's really interesting to follow over the course of a season, right? Who can who can outdevelop um, the other teams, who can fix their problems, who, you know, just uh, plummets through the rankings. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to watch all of this uh, throughout the season, just like we're going to watch the Australian Grand Prix this weekend. By the way, thanks to Matt Hagler on Twitter for pointing this out. Uh, this is the first instance I know of of the in these new um, uh, C1 through C5 tire era that we're in um, that we have skipped a compound. So if you recall, there are there are five uh, sets, five compounds of incre- uh, decreasing hardness from the hard C1 to the very soft C5. And Pirelli, the tire manufacturer, selects three of those for a given weekend. And then those become the hard, medium, and soft. This weekend, the hard is the C2, the medium is the C3, and the soft is the C5. So we've skipped the C4. Whoa. Uh, yeah. C4 is too explosive for this track. I, yeah, or not soft enough. It's interesting. I, you, you would think that there'd be like a, a linear graph here on the on the softness, and you would want, I don't know the, or maybe it's that it that the C three is not hard enough. Maybe it's just about competitive, right? Like maybe the yeah, maybe they were just like looking at it, it's like this is not an interesting like performance band mm, between like yeah. if, if it's linear, and so they just have to. They have to have a part of the tire spectrum that goes like kerchunk and like you're going to have to deal with it uh, because otherwise it's just going to be it's just going to be too too samey uh, in in terms of setups. This is always the weird thing about these these tire things. It really is like it is kind of how you are arranging the terms of the contest, right? It is it, it is a bit like you're trying to engineer for like what kind of what kind of race do we want to have? Uh, I'm excited they did it. I've, 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 yeah. I was also sort of wondered, like, that'd be a fun little monkey wrench to toss into the tire strategy. Is like, hey, one of these things is really not like the other. Yeah, uh, yeah. Melbourne is also like a fairly bumpy tra- track, but they have resurfaced it this year. So with the new cars as well, who knows? There, there, there might be a little bit of a spanner in the works. But yeah, I like the idea with them playing with it, especially as tire strategy is like clearly really important this year with like, you know, it seems like a lot more stops as well. On average, we're getting more stops in these, you know, it's only been two races, but they've uh, they've proved very, very tactical that way. It's true. Well, let's get to the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne, Danny. Yes, excited to be back, although it is new. It has gotten a a pretty substantial uh, facelift, let's say. Uh, We've been here since about 1996. It's a 58-lap race, 5.3 kilometers. Shumi has the lap record in 2004, but we're going to get average uh, speed increase of about 70 kilometers an hour this year. So who knows? It might be 
finally broken. Um, it has undergone changes in the past. This is a sort of temporary circuit in that it takes place in a park in the centre of Melbourne. Um, there are some parts of it which are roads during the year that um, I think... I don't think they're public roads. I think they're maybe just for park people. I'm not quite sure exactly. And then there is the start-finish sort of like circuit area of it, which is built for the F1. So um, it's a bit of a mixture that way. But like I said, they're resurfacing it this year. Um, so it'll all have a, a nice new lick of tarmac. Um, the changes, though, some are subtle, some are substantial. So one of the problems with this track, and it's a fantastic track and people really like it and the, the flow of it's really good. But one of the issues was it was always very narrow. Uh, and also, a lot of the turns were turns that you couldn't overtake on. They were sort of sharp and narrow in themselves, so you couldn't really, you know, throw up the inside because both cars were, like, going to such a low speed anyway, and you might be able to, like, cut the apex. So there was very particular places in which you would overtake on this track. There was a lot of, like, down into turn one, down into turn three, and then if you didn't get it there, maybe it hazarded into turn 11, and then that was it. These were, like, the three right-hand turns, you know, 90-degree turns that you would try to throw it down the inside of. Um, So loads has been changed. So Turn one, turn and the turn three, as I mentioned, and turn eleven, and also turn thirteen, which is the penultimate weird little left hander, they've all been opened up quite a lot. So the apex of the corner has been opened up, which should hopefully allow cars to drive through them rather than break and turn into them. Um but the more substantial changes that have happened are at uh turn six, which is if you remember, you kind of go under the trees a little bit at the end of sector one, and then you have a sort of a little right-hander. Uh, that's been opened up quite a lot. Uh, it was a pretty conservative corner because it was like gravel on the outside of it, so you really didn't want to get beached out there. Um, so that's been opened up so that basically the pace that cars have coming out of turn, coming out of that first sector, can continue. So hopefully they'll continue to be a little bit closer, you know, exiting turn six, and this is where things really change. So there used to be basically a sort of a, uh, not a chicane, but a really tight right-hander, which slowed everyone down um, on what was the old turn nine. So that's effectively been removed. So instead of when we're out of that turn six, we're basically into like a sort of a, I daren't call it a straight. They haven't given it a number, the turn, but it's basically a flat out part of the track. Um, The detection point for DRS has been brought earlier and there's going to be two DRS zones there. They've already done this on the front of the track. There's a DRS detection point at the start of the start finish straight and it works for two points. It works for uh, the the start finish and then between turn two and turn three. So they're doing the same here on the other side. done that before the four drs zones but two detection points it's almost like there's two drs zones with a break in between each one yeah i don't they had the first one on this one but they used to only have the the what is now the fourth drs zone was the third one and the have drs seen detection four point on a track before have i seen four on a track i'm trying to think the spa what one of the big ones no mm. that's got one two and so i got two I think. No? Three? Is there one on start finish? No, because that start finish straight's not long enough. Yeah, so I think maybe that they only have, yeah, two there. Um, so four is a lot. Uh, but yeah, like you said, they're kind of, you know, daisy-chained a little bit. Because now, hopefully, turn one and two will be a little bit faster, because it's an awkward turn. 
It's kind of like a, you know, turn one is quite sharp, so you can get around turn two. Um, and it's kind of like a faster start of Monza. Um, and then turn nine and ten are actually have actually always been taken at speed. There's no not much overtaking room there between nine and ten, but you should be able to hopefully follow a little bit more this year than you could in the past too. So it's exciting. It really opens up this track quite a lot. It means that instead of there being very like particular places to overtake and the rest of it, you have to be sort of fairly steady. In this one, it's almost like there's lots of overtaking spots and then you've got breathers in between them. The breather being like the end of sector three and I think that's it. (laughs) Okay. Like maybe coming out of turn three because that's a pretty slow corner, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see how fast we're able to take these turns in practice. So it's interesting. It's a very, you know, fundamental change to to this whole thing. And then a lot of other turns, like turn 11 has been widened, like I said, but that that final sector, the the, the sort of little arena section there, which was usually quite slow, um, has been opened up as well. So, yeah, I, 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 I think this track has always been beloved and has given us a lot of interesting races and it's always the first, well, historically it was the first race of the season, which I think also played into a lot of people enjoying it. Um, but we could have a really interesting race here we could have a lot of places to throw the car up the inside and hopefully the rest of the track feels wider because it was always quite constrained here yeah i mean different differences in the track differences in the cars this yeah i were i'm i have no idea what to expect going in here uh except some balmy weather we've got looks to be about 75 degrees fahrenheit or 24 celsius on qualifying day with no precipitation and light wind um and Sunday, just a few degrees warmer, uh, same light wind, but at race time and steadily climbing, we look to have a precipitation chance of 16%. Whoa, 16, baby. Yes. 16. Put it all on red. <laughs> uh, yes. And that is, that's the weather. Let's get to the driver standings here. Charles Leclerc leads the driver's championship with 45 points ahead of his teammate, Carlos Sainz, with 33. Max Verstappen, with his win last time out, has 25 points. And George Russell is in fourth with 22. Lewis Hamilton right behind uh, with 16 points in uh, fifth place. Esteban Ocon's in sixth with 14 points. Sergio Perez and Kevin Magnussen are tied uh, with 12 in seventh place. Valtteri Bottas is in ninth with eighth Eight, uh, Lando Norris is in tenth with six, and we've got a tie between Yuki Tsunoda and his teammate Pierre Gasly for eleventh place with four points. Fernando Alonso has two. Joe Guan Yu has one point in fourteenth place, and we've got uh, Mick Schumacher, Lance Stroll, Nico Hulkenberg, Alexander Albon, Daniel Ricciardo, and Nicholas Latifi, mm. and Sebastian Vettel with zero. Ricciardo's going to want to get off the bottom of his oh. race. Oh, in the worst way, I'm sure. Uh, in the constructor standings, Ferrari is on top with 78 points. Mercedes is in second with 38 points, one point ahead of Red Bull in third. Wow. Alpine is in fourth with 16. Gene Haas and team have 12 points. Alfa Romeo is in sixth with nine. Alfa Tauri has eight. McLaren is in eighth place with six points. Then we've got Aston Martin and Williams with zero. Uh, if you'd like to join the standings, Yourself, you can join our fantasy league using the link in the show notes. Pick your turbo driver heading into Australia. Mm. Um, and that's the standings. Let's take it to emails, Danny. 
Yeah, shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. This first one, Drew, do you mind taking it? Ryan C. has a problem with the helmet cam. Uh, it seems so. Ryan says, the helmet cam must be stopped. It sucks. You can't see anything when they swap to it, and they are doing so at key moments. Leclerc is trying to pass her stappen, but you, the viewer, are in the dark because you're subjected to this visual cacophony when they have dozens of other angles to choose from. I yeah, understand. I'm, well, I, I, might, I might agree. Nope. But this is, I think this is a problem with... Uh, Direction? direction live switching this yeah. is not a problem with the helmet cam the helmet cam is dope yeah i love the helmet cam uh not only does it is it a different looking image uh i i think danny you said it was did you say this was uh, uh like a jj abrams lens flare with all the, the lights <laughs> coming did. in i didn't but that's a very good way of putting it and maybe it okay, looked better maybe, in the daytime yeah if he doesn't like that even. i'm i um, love the helmet cam i i do think like yes it's not a good camera angle for like if you're trying to capture like a crucial racing moment because yeah the entire thing the the cool thing about it is like it is as close we're gonna get to driver's eye view uh and also it really does bring out bring home the sense of like speed and violence of driving these cars uh in a way that like is really immediate uh so i like i like the paul greengrassian uh quality (laughs) of of the helmet cam here's my pet peeve though so if you notice the TV pod has an amazing view down into the uh, cockpit where you can see what the drivers are doing on the wheels and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when they switch the in-car view, the fucking graphic comes up and it blocks ah, the steering right. wheel and like what the driver is doing there. There is so much real estate on this like graphics package. Move the frigging. We already, by the way, we don't even need. We're in the guy's car. We know who we're looking at probably. But like <laughs> move that graphic off so we can like stare at the steering wheel please yeah. i must know what are they doing um this the, is, yeah. some of some of the direction in abu dhabi was a bit suspect too or in sorry in Jeddah was suspect too where th- there was a lot of like because there's more fighting in more of the track they were sort of not showing like they kept showing replays of what was going on at the end of battles between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen while I'm like I think they're probably pretty close to each other right now like let me go back right. to the action please it's almost as if the directors aren't used to there being this much <laughs> action <laughs> that they're like right. throwing up these replays so I I found Saudi to be a little bit usually F1, you know, direction is the type of thing you don't think of because it's fairly great a lot of the time. Um, but I did, I maybe just me, but I found that a bit frustrating during the more action-packed moments of Jeddah. Yeah, I, I, I would say maybe as a rule to keep the helmet cam, limit the helmet cam to replays. But I love, I love seeing it. I love seeing, you know, the driver move their head back and forth to look at their mirrors. There was a cool, uh, I retweeted this from, and I can put in the show notes, um... I retweeted it from the Shift the Fun Twitter account. Someone had like taken a close look at the uh, the interface of the display of the steering wheel on Charlotte mm-hmm. Claire's car and kind of broke it out into, you know, what each element meant. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's that's my feelings on the helmet cam. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Rob, you want to take this one from Dave R? Yeah, Dave writes. Charles should get credit for a move by having it named after him. Not the let you buy at this corner so I can have DRS through the next straight and get round before the next corner. The Charles is an overtake followed by a quick short move across the middle of the track to shut the door and force the following car into a compromised angle into the corner. 
He's done it. To, he's done it twice to Max to keep Max from pulling a Brazil and dive bombing the inside, even if it goes off the track. The first time was lap 17 in Bahrain. The second was lap 43 at Turn One in Saudi Arabia. I think we'll be seeing the Charles from all the, all the drivers this year because the cars are so much better at following and repassing. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I haven't. I have to look at his decision making in those moments again. I like the racing was really good. Nothing jumped out at me as like a really distinctive uh, like defensive move. I'm really interested if he's if he's like closing off a line that Max has been looking for. Uh, I, I I think that definitely bears some bears some watching because it does seem like we're gonna be seeing them race a lot this year. Yeah, I'm gonna look out for that in Melbourne. The Charles. Mm-hmm. The can you can you prove on the name? Like the cheeky Charles or the the no, that's all I got actually. <laughs> I kind of like the the Charles, yeah. the Charles, Mister Charles. Was that an Inception? Was that what he called himself, Mister Charles, when he did the whole? Sorry, we're going deep into the Inception lore here. I'll take this next question from Tom okay. Orr in Houston. Went from Dave Orr to Tom Orr. Um, they're just making me say or in my weird Irish accent. Uh, between qualifying laps, when the cars are in the garage and the drivers are still in their seats, video monitors are attached to the Halo support bar right in front of them. What are they watching? Replays? Lap stats? Twilight movies? We got a lot of emails about this. So I, I am mm. assuming that this is a people new to the sport or people mm-hmm. watching practice or quali for the first time type of thing. They're um, watching streamers. Yeah, they're watching. They're watching the latest memes. It's uh, important to be on top of your meme game in, in uh, F one, as Lando has shown. Uh, yeah, so those screens that come down, they are there's, there's a lot of stuff. So the main way to communicate with the driver at that stage is the engineers are radioed into them and can talk to them. Um, but they are looking at sector times. They're looking at split times. They're looking at sometimes replays of other of the the, the general feed. Um, they're sometimes looking at replays of their own uh, laps too. Um, the general sort of use of those is to. Um, give them live knowledge of what's going on on the track, how it's evolving, so that they can sort of um, analyze it and and change the next time they run out. If it's during something like a practice session, sometimes there are more uh, detailed stuff about, you know, rundowns of what they're supposed to do for that um, uh, practice for, you know, maybe they're doing a long fuel load or maybe they're doing a test on a certain tire or something like that. Um, We also had some questions about the pens. So sometimes they have, uh, the drivers have very limited movement in the cars, but sometimes they give them like Sharpies so that they can communicate with the uh, walls. They're like digital pens that sort of like will draw so they can say, oh, here I was doing this and it'll come up on a screen in a different part of the garage. So it's not like a Sharpie that they're drawing on the screen. As far as I know, at least it is a digital stylus that is communicating back to somebody else. It it looked to me like they were also using the stylus to, because again, yeah, you're right, Danny, their their arms are kind of cramped in the car. They can't just reach up and use the touch screen. They might be like changing pages in there with that too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Like using it as like a little joystick almost. Right. Yeah. Um, Rob, Is that new? Is it, I don't think I've seen the stylus before. No, I think it's new. I th- I think I saw Lando use it. Um, yeah, I assume it's, it's somewhat new, but it's hard because they don't often show a lot of that stuff. Yeah, because you, know I mean? you don't want to... Telemetry is private. Yeah, so... Um, so maybe it is, but we did get a couple of questions about stylus, which also makes me assume it must be, yeah. if not new to F1, new to us seeing it. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rob, you want to take this next one? Yeah. Uh, Colin writes, 
I just realized that Alpine has basically become Force India. It has the three most distinctive on-track Force India elements. Esteban Ocon, Amar Safnauer, and the BWT pink car. Yes, this is correct. And it's been throwing me off all season. Like it I know, is I keep like I keep thinking that it's Aston because everything like th- these the Omar's there, the color scheme, like the fact that this is the package uh that seems to migrate around Safnauer uh is really throwing me off. And hey, we've already got like some elbows out intra-team uh competition. So like the Force India vibes are are really in, you know, it they are they're moving into the red or, or the pink, I guess, in, in this case. Uh but I also feel like does that is Aston Martin kind of a team without much of an identity right now? Yeah. That, there's, I mean, there's not Aston, much of a I guess Aston there. Martin's the identity, but they don't have much of a recent history at F1. So it's kind of like a no, empty vessel a little bit. They've got all the charisma of the strolls. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is <laughs> it's kind of, it, it, it feels like a weird uh, corporate project in some ways, uh, you know, that is uh, backing a a billionaire son, but also the car just doesn't, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens as the season goes long. And if, if there's, there's more pace in it, but like, it just doesn't, they have not been an interesting team. And now with like, uh, like a lot of the force India energy transferring, I'm really curious what Aston Martin is going to turn out to be. I wonder if VJ Malia tunes in every now and again and is like, what? <laughs> That's, I mean, that's what I was going to say. The on-track <laughs> elements are there. The off-track ones are not. <laughs> yeah. Yes, maybe for maybe for good. Um, no offense to VJ, but, you know, he tried his best. <laughs> he had a <laughs> lot going on, I think. Tax evasion. Yeah. Um, I got to take this one from Joshua. Hey, all. Being a fan since the start, I've wondered, what is the difference about the new Grand Effect versus the older ones when it comes to safety? How are they avoiding the airplane crashes if negative pressure becomes positive? I haven't heard anyone talk about this. Um, I haven't heard anyone talk about this either, and I'm quite interested. I don't have an answer to this, but I wanted to bring it to uh, all of us here to, to chat about it. So what he's talking about is... One of the issues with a lot of ground effect cars, and you saw this, and so there's the the famous Mark Webber flipping his is that a, a Le Mans car, I think. Um, when when these cars get a little bit of air underneath them, that when ground effect is lost, uh, and you, the cars have basically lost their ability to stick to the track, that if they go over a like a Singapore sling or like some sort of bump which gets air underneath the car in the wrong way, that the cars basically career into the sky. For me, I always thought that was a big issue with weight as well, that the types of cars that that was happening to were on the lighter side, and these F1 cars are like actually fairly beefy in terms of um, in terms of their weight profile and how tall they are and where the center of gravity is, is like fairly low to the ground, even without the ground effect stuff. Um, but I am interested in this because we haven't seen, we sort of unfortunately saw the first crashes in these cars, and they seem to do... I think, well, I mean, Mick is, he had to go to hospital, but he, he, he seemed to be okay the next day. Um, but do you guys have any thoughts on this? Like, I know, Drew, you know Grand Effect because you fly airplanes, and I was wondering if you, if you had maybe some more I mean, insight into this than I do. Not, not really. I can really just guess, and, and <laughs> I'm no aerodynamicist, but 
the way that the ground effect works is that it in F1 cars it they sh- they create these ducts. I think that they're called venturi channels, tunnels, is it? Yeah. tunnels. Um, and they they that shoots air under the car faster. And when air is going faster, it has a lower pressure. And when you've got low pressure under the car, it sucks it to the track, which is what you want because you want you want that force, you want that grip that the, the tires um, uh, 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 benefit from. Um, when you break that. I don't know if if that means the opposite happens. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it might just mean that you don't get the benefit of the Venturi tunnels. Then it's kind of left up to the rest of the aerodynamics on the car to continue the movement. And the aerodynamics are designed to keep the car down, all the rest of the wings and stuff. Um, so I guess I don't know. That that see that's makes more sense in my head, um, because you don't like ground effect in airplanes, right? I love. I find this very interesting when you explained this to me years ago. This is the sort of you should probably explain it, but it's the, it's the effect of everyone feels that when they're landing in an airplane that mm-hmm. the plane almost doesn't want to touch the ground when it's coming down right at the end, right? Because right, there's like you're kind a of on a cushion. Yeah, cushion of air. It's not like that ever invert, like revert, you know, flips. It's not like at a certain stage, ground effect just inverts and the and the plane gets like sucked to the ground or anything like that. Right. Um, right. It just, you you it, just wait until the plane doesn't have enough speed to remain flying. Right. So it's you sort of like cushion it down and then it, yeah, has its landing, hopefully, if you're landing it properly. So, yeah, I mean, that seems to make sense that the ground effect is less of a that it's a more deliberate thing or something. If you're an aerodynamicist, so shift F1 podcast at gmail.com. There you go. I will also say like, it looks like back when they were in their peak ground effect era, there was a massive amount of floor relative to the size of the car. Right. Um, And so I do wonder if like the amount that the cars were relying on that floor generating, uh, like ground effect downforce is just, really not comparable to like the sort of the more tapered uh, layout of the modern cars. Uh, I could see that also being a major part of it because it does seem like when ground effect was at its strongest, uh, they were basically like, you'd almost imagine a big rectangle with wheels. Uh, yeah. yeah which is like, what that Lamar car looks like. It looks like just yeah. a big slab. Right. And that can <laughs> turn into like that. It doesn't matter what's going on under the channels underneath it. It's just a big wing at that point. Right, and and like that's just not the profile of the modern cars at all. Um, and I, I suppose because they've also gone after the the other thing is like in that era, the front and rear wings were also doing a whole lot relative uh, to like the size of the car. That it, it could just be like the cars overall were so aerodynamically dependent uh, mm-hmm. that that was that was kind of where the risk was coming from. But yeah, my my guess might be it just might have been the way that like the ground effect era came into its own and it was this anything goes approach to designing the silhouette of like the floor of the car and now mm-hmm. they're playing around the ground effect under much more constrained uh conditions that would be yeah. that would be my guess but yeah like uh i am sure if you're an aerodynamicist reach out but also if you know which youtube video explains this really well like maybe it's craig scarborough <laughs> or I mean, like 
Hey, just like link it to us. We'll find it. Yeah. 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 Just just show us. We like, it's a great question. And if you want to see the gnarly crash we're talking about, it's uh, it's Mark Webber's Le Mans crash. I believe it was 99, not to be confused with the Valencia crash in F1 in 2010, which was also Mark Webber flying through the sky and doing corkscrews um, and thankfully walking away, but because he ran into the back of Buemi? I forget, someone like that. Oh, yeah, I'll put away. links in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, to that one. Uh, Drew, do you mind taking this one from Morgan and Matt in Pittsburgh? Yes, Morgan and Matt Wright. Do we think the overcut becomes more powerful this season? In years past, it was rare that a track had the right degradation, lap time, and pit lane length for it to be an option. But with the lower blanket temperatures and how difficult it seems to get these tires switched on, it seems like a fast outlap is no longer guaranteed, thereby weakening the undercut. Are we jumping to conclusions too early? Uh, okay, so I think I messed this up in the primer with the definition of the overcut so just to reset here the undercut is when a the chasing car pits first and then despite losing time for the pit stop goes back out and drives faster on fresh tires than the leading car's old tires so that when the leading car finally does pit they come out behind uh, to prevent this, the leading car will often pit directly after the chasing car to minimize the damage, which is a strategy you may hear called covering off. Um, the overcut is when the chasing car waits for the leading car to pit first, then goes faster than the pitted car. Of course, that can only really be done if the chasing car is faster than the leading car. Um, so you don't generally see the overcut as much because if the chasing car is faster, they just overtake on track. But on circuits where it's difficult to overtake, that's where the overcut becomes an option. And I would assume, again, not being a race strategist or really an expert of any kind, uh, that the overcut is more likely with these new regulations because there isn't as much dirty air to degrade the tires. Mm. So the car behind has a much better chance of their tires retaining, you know, good condition. Um, you know, Morgan and Matt also point out that the the tire blanket temperatures are lower this year, you know, when they're sitting in the garage and they've got those blankets over them. Um, and we've already seen some struggles with getting the new tires into that right temperature window for fast lap times. Yeah. So I think that makes sense, too. Uh, you know, a car's ability to perform the overcut gets easier if you know that your rival is going to be slower coming out of the pits. So that that'll then mean that you can go faster than them for much longer. Also, um, no, rem- sorry, just to yeah. interject there, like the in sports car racing, the uh, they they actually went so far as to ban uh, tire blankets like at all. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it has been transformative in terms of like the dynamics of like what is happening when cars come out of the pits uh, to, wow. to that point of like the uh, the notion, because I think in previous season we're used to seeing it in F1 where like the tires are effectively back up to temperature within what, like three or four corners of leaving the pits like it's. It's it's nothing, uh, but in like sports car racing, especially when it's just maybe a little bit unusually cold, suddenly like the new set of tires uh, is a real hurdle to overcome, which I think will be another interesting dynamic uh, as as F1 experiences different conditions throughout the long season. Yeah, I mean, this race would also be interesting because it sounded like it was the ambient heat in the past two races was quite high, but because they were nighttime races, the track temps might were not necessarily hot because they weren't getting direct sunlight 
then. So it'll be interesting to see how all of this works when we're on this newly laid foundation and in, in track in Melbourne during the day. Yeah, I guess it remains to be seen how well the teams adjust to this new these new temps and and stuff. So, uh, great thing to watch out for. So, thank you, Morgan and Matt. Yeah. Uh, last question here from Jacob. Uh, this is my first season watching F1. What's the deal with the eighteen twelve overture during the champagne spraying portion of the podium ceremony? <laughs> it's a fine song, but the vibes seem a bit off. Is it just a weird tradition, or is there some reasoning? behind it so this is the uh the champagne which is actually preludes to carmen i had to look this up because i know that the 1812 overture is the um the the one from v for vendetta you know the yeah that one right so it's it's actually a different song they're both like sort of like well hey um but one of them is uh is uh is you know i guess it's the overture i guess to carmen right it's the song that plays before the prelude before carmen starts um the opera uh so uh, the reasoning behind it, apparently, I did some research on this because I actually was kind of like, yes, this is one of these things I have taken for granted in most motorsports because it's not just an F1. This, they play this song sort of like for... Do they really play it in other sports? I've heard, yeah. I mean, maybe it's just like it, like local go-kart things or... Because it does seem... I I agree with Jacob here. It does seem like a like a, uh, a vestige of the Eccleston era. And I don't know if it was his idea, but maybe you'll tell me. But it it just feels a little archaic and weird. It's definitely archaic. Um, <laughs> the uh, the the reasonings I have found. I did a bunch of digging on this, and the there is no consensus. But the gen, the most widely accepted uh, explanation is that this was a song that was used uh, for a large period in French motorsports to signal the 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 winner getting handed their trophy. And when the Grand Prix, I mean, it's called a Grand Prix. There is a lot of French tradition in motor racing by osmosis, as much as how involved French racing has been in F1 in particular and just European motorsports over uh, the past, you know, two centuries. But that that was the reason why that that the the pre- preeminent song used for a ceremony was kind of this format, and they basically adopted it in a, in in some are of the early era of f1 um which you know also vibes with the you know there's a lot of like cultural stuff that gets missed but like you know there was a lot of celebrating france post-war it had been liberated it was part Mm. of the free world again you know f1 obviously had a big period pre and post-war so it it makes sense that this was kind of like used but i it's funny because like to me it's you know that type of pomp and you know all of it like the the you know the 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 wreaths and you know like so much of f1 is this like sort of old european nonsense but i can totally <laughs> see how it it might stand out as weirder you know kind of like me when i see them drinking the milk at indianapolis i'm like what you know? <laughs> yeah is that is that that is indy isn't it yeah yep um but yeah apparently that's the reason is just it's one of those traditions, man. Doesn't have to make sense, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, I'm I I am enlightened here. Uh, <laughs> feel better for knowing that. Uh, but that's that's emails shiftf one podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at shiftf one podcast. I am at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, it's Danny? It's around the way. Hey, 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 yeah.
Well, Danny, the Camping World trucks are back. And Fine. guess who else is back? The Blue DTM? Emu. The Blue, excuse me? Yes, excuse the, me? the Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief 200 oh, man. is what the trucks will be racing this weekend. Uh, we've also got the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Oh, by the way, everyone's in Martinsville in NASCAR land this year. Uh, or this, Thanks, this weekend. Martin's, Martin has a ville in Virginia. Uh, the Xfinity Series race is called... <clears throat> Call 811 before you dig 250, powered by call811.com. They don't want you hitting those power lines or gas lines, man. They just like, no. just call. Just call before you dig. Before Seriously, that shovel my, hits the my ground. favorite dim sum place in San Francisco got destroyed by a gas line explosion. No way. Yep. Hong Kong wow. Lounge 2, <laughs> RIP. Is there a Hong Kong Lounge 3? Uh, not yet. Wow. So call 811. Don't be digging. Yes. yes. I, I absolutely, my favorite race names, I think, is when it's, you know, brand something, something, something brought to you by same brand. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Uh, the Repco Supercars are at the Albert Park Grand Prix circuit, as previously mentioned, for not one, but four races Damn. this weekend. The World Superbike Championship is at Motorland Arga, <clears throat> Aragon. Aragon. Oh, yeah, In Middle Earth. Earth. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Formula E is back for the Rome E Prix. Woo! There's going to roam around. There's no circus. You just have to just explore. <laughs> just, it's very a la carte. Right. Explore Italy. Look at all the statues. Uh, the IMSO WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is at Long Beach for the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. That sucks. Formula is at the Fuji Speedway. That's at the foothills of Mount Fuji in the Ooh. town of Oyama, Sunto District, Shizuoka Prefecture. Oh, great prefecture. It really is. Uh, MotoGP, boy, we are really back in the spirit of racing here, uh, is at the Circuit of the Americas this weekend. Damn. Are they? Damn. My wife is there right now. Well, she'll be back. I was like, uh, maybe I should have gone. Maybe I should have gone to Austin this week with her to visit yep. friends. I could have snuck off and seen Fabio Quattararo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Motocross Grand Prix is at Cosodromo Ciclamino in Italy. It's a pretty cool mm. name. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and lastly, we go to Nescar. My lord. Also at Martinsville, also Blue Emu, maximum pain <laughs> relief, 400. Do you remember the Blue Emu? I don't. This is this is pain relief it's, it's a tablets made, is it? made oh. from emus. Oh, now I remember it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they put it right there. Usually they try and like, you know, obfuscate the source of things sometimes you know because it yeah, freaks this... people out because people think red bulls got like bull sperm in it and you mm. know they, they just try and not but yeah with does it say made with real emu <laughs> i think the <laughs> website does uh but formula one is also this weekend the australian grand prix kicks off F- follow closely now because australia is in the future our weekend starts Thursday, April 7th at 11 p.m. Eastern awesome. Time. Awesome. 
Give it to That's me. practice one. And then practice two is the is 2 a.m. Friday morning. That's on ESPN News and ESPN2, respectively. Then Friday, April 8th, uh, practice three is 11 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN News. And then qualifying 2 a.m. Saturday morning on ESPN2. Right. And the race, everyone, technically Sunday at <laughs> 1 a.m. Eastern time, 10 p.m. Pacific. <laughs> On ESPN. Beautiful. So there you go. 10 p.m. races. We, <laughs> yeah. On the West Coast. We had them all along. That's Saturday. Saturday, 10 p.m. 10 p.m. Pacific time. Beautiful. And if you get bored on Sunday, watch that new MotoGP series. They just did a, their own Drive to Survive. That's so, right. MotoGP Unlimited. 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 Although there is a limit. There's a specific amount of episodes. So I don't know. About that. It's got Rossi's last year, I guess, if it's about last year. So Wow. Yeah. Yeah, maybe uh, we should go for right. Patreon or something. We yeah, maybe we yeah. should. Um Danny, final thoughts. Heading into Australia. Uh massive thoughts with all of our friends in Australia who have waited and waited and waited for the return of the Grand Prix. I hope you're able to attend. You have a blast. Stay safe. Enjoy the racing. Uh we are delighted to be back in your fair country. Yes. Final thoughts, Rob. Uh, don't sleep on IndyCar. Just just putting that out mm. there. Uh, mm. That last the race they had a couple weeks ago at Texas Motor Speedway, like one of the wildest finishes I've seen in a race oh. uh, in in the last year. We're talking about like uh, less than a car width difference as they cross the uh, a car length difference as they cross the finish line uh, with a last lap How's lead how? change. How's uh, our boy Roman doing? Oh. Uh, it's a sophomore slump, a little bit, a little okay. bit. They're having oh, car well, no. issues. It's not going oh, well. No. Uh, the the real the real breakout th- star is like Scott McLaughlin, who's a, a um, oh. New Zealand driver, is just like wrecking house. Uh, he's oh, dude, that's awesome. I loved watching him in supercars. Yeah, he's dude, awesome. he is tearing it up uh, in IndyCar to the point where like uh, the last the last race he let he, like he looked incredible uh, on the oval he was dominant at St. Pete uh, it might be if it keeps up like this this like the championship might be wrapped up fast uh, if he maintains this form but it will be a hell of a thing to to see because uh, it is immaculate driving damn cool uh, IndyCar also puts up uh, a lot of their stuff on YouTube um, I don't think Maybe full races this year, but they I certainly would bet do not a... because it's all on Peacock. Oh, of course, but the full races on Peacock are very good. They also did a like a forty minute highlight where they just take out all the yellow flags, <laughs> which is pretty cool. And there are a um, lot of yellow flags. How many races into the season are we? Just two. Okay. Oh yeah. All right. Ooh, this is okay, it, though, yeah, isn't it? Here, you get, the the twenty twenty two fast forward Texas Motor Speedway in thirty minutes. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's a good. I'll, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. Not too long. Not too short. Just right. Goldilocks. Uh, all right. Well, that is it for us. If you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash Shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow. <laughs> <laughs>